1: The only reason why I, I'm not playing this game is because we know that it's not worth it to get bullied endlessly and called transphobic endlessly.
2: Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Gita Jackson. And you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And today I am joined once again by Gita Jackson. Gita, hello! How are you? I'm doing surprisingly well, actually. It's an unusually warm day in New York, yet again. It
1: is. It is. Yeah. It is. It's giving apocalypse vibes, but mm-hmm. I will enjoy the apocalypse as it's happening. I know, I know exactly what you mean. It's been a few months since the last time you are on the show explaining Twitch to me, which was truly one of the most helpful things that has ever been done in the world. Thank you for your public service. No problem. Um, <laughs> so how have you been? Because your recent tweets, I follow you on Twitter, obviously, suggest that you have been having a time.
2: Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> the internet is not always the most pleasant place for black femmes, uh, as we both are very aware And Mm -hmm. recently it's become even more unpleasant for me personally, (laughs) but I, I'm a strong person. I will persevere.
1: Before we get into why exactly you've been having a time though, I didn't ask you when you first came on the most important question on this podcast, which is what is your first internet memory?
2: So my dad works in IT. So he brought back the internet to our house when I was pretty like young, like 10 years old. Um, And I think my first real memory of using it as an independent person rather than my dad showing off this new tech toy that he brought home from the office was arguing with uh, shippers on a Digimon forum at age 12.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. It's also lovely to know that you've never changed.
2: (laughs) Pretty much yeah you know there's a picture of me uh, as a baby like gazing in awe at a computer screen and it's like this is where it all started that's where the worms infested my brain and now you're I've like this never is stopped. my
1: villain origin story
2: Absolutely. <laughs> the minute you put me in front of a computer parents you shouldn't know. <laughs>
1: You're like, I will be arguing online. So, I mean, speaking of childhood memories, we have both mentioned to each other that we were Harry Potter children growing up. And so I'm curious, to whether you remember like the first time you encountered Harry James Potter? Is that his middle name? I think his middle
2: name is James, yes.
1: Okay, there we go.
2: So I, um, my family friends, the Reeds, when they, they took a trip to England to see their son, and when they came back, they were like, Everybody in England is reading this book, and we got the third one in the series for you, and it's not out in America yet, so I read the third Harry Potter book, which is still my, by far my favorite of all of them, when I was, like, 11, and it was, like, every other child across the world, it was over for me, you know, that yeah. ended up being, like, a huge part of my adolescence, and, you know, I went from arguing with shippers on a Digimon forum to arguing with shippers uh, on LiveJournal. Journal. <laughs> Um,
1: I had a somewhat similar awakening
2: to the Harry Potter lifestyle. They were at
1: first banned in my household because my mother grew up in a hyper religious household and was like, this is witchcraft and therefore is of the devil. Mm-hmm. And so my older brother, who's like four years older than me, was not allowed to read it, which was, you know, really terrible for him. So my granddad, my dad's father, was just like, I'm going to buy this boy a book. So he buys him the hair, first Harry Potter book, like, behind my mother's back. And it was basically over from there. And then somehow in the intervening years, my mother's become a huge Harry Potter fan to the point that she watched that, like, Harry Potter trivia game show and wow. tried to get me to watch it. And you I was just like... found the
2: person that watched that.
1: <laughs> we found the one person who watched it. <laughs> yeah, and it was sure my did. mother. <laughs> And I'm like, look at how far we've come, like from it wow. being witchcraft from the devil to you being like, ah, yes, I know this trivia.
2: <laughs> I'm proud of her. That's growth. Same. That's gross.
1: That is gross. Um, So Harry Potter is not family activity or like it was a family activity.
2: Yeah, it's gone through some stages. <laughs> I think <laughs> Harry Potter as a thing that exists. We're at a new stage now. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. We we are at a, a hugely different stage, not least because there's a new work in the canon. There's something else has been added. It's con- Things are constantly being added. But this time, it's a video game, and it's Hogwarts Legacy, and it has had the internet in uproar.
2: Yeah, so Hogwarts Legacy um, is a video game. Uh, there's an open world video game, meaning like it takes place on a, on Hogwarts Castle and the surrounding areas, and then you can explore all these different areas and all parts of the castle, uh, and came out last month. And if you haven't been paying attention to the game, then you might have maybe have noticed that uh, discussions around the game, even when it comes to sort of like Twitch streamers who might play it, has become incredibly toxic on Twitch. There are it's been a huge source of controversy, like basically every week there's like a new person who's getting harassed or bullied for for playing the Harry Potter game. Most notably, I think Hassan Piker, who we've discussed last time we were talking about Twitch, um, he got under came under fire for explaining why he wasn't going to play the game because he said it was, quote unquote, not worth it to get yelled at, which I think most things are not worth getting yelled at. So more power to you. Um Trans people and their allies have been speaking out about playing the game or sort of acting as free advertisement on Twitch because of J.K. Rowling's anti-trans rhetoric. You know, most recently, she has gone after a referendum on gender laws in Scotland that would have allowed... Uh, trans people to self-ID and change their gender on their you know, uh, identification documents without having to go through a huge amount of rigmarole. And she wore a t-shirt with the first minister of Scotland, who's uh, Nicola Sturgeon, that said, Nicola Sturgeon, definition, destroyer of women's rights. So I don't think she could make her position any more clear. And now it's become to this sort of head where, if you even discuss the game at all, You will be inundated with people, either people who want you to play the game to uh, own the libs or people who desperately do not want you to play the game because of its connection to JK Rowling. So I had the pleasure of reviewing this game and I have a lot of things to say about it. (laughs)
1: I'm so glad that you're here. We're going to talk all about Hogwarts legacy. We're going to talk about the legacy of Harry Potter as a franchise and how the wizarding world that JK Rowling created has become one of the most toxic touchstones in the current culture wars. All of that after a short break. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners. Whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: And we're back. Before the break, Gita and I discussed the beginning of our relationship with Harry Potter, which I think kind of perfectly sets us up to get into the recent controversy surrounding the game. I have to admit... Two things. One, I wasn't paying attention to any of this because, you know, as discussed, J.K. Rowling has made her opinions clear and I'm not giving my money to her. So <laughs> I've been tuning out of Harry Potter stuff for the past, I would say, six years. Like, I have not seen any of the Fantastic Beast movies. The second thing I have to admit is that I've only recently gotten into gaming. And by recently, I mean I've been playing H- Hades, the game, for the past year and a half. But what that means is I'm not super up to date on gaming news. So I, again, am so glad that you're here to explain to me the context of this game.
2: Yeah, you're in luck because I'm a freaking nerd. <laughs> I love video <laughs> games. Oh, so am I. Just different flavors. I know. It's uh, the Venn diagram of our nerdery is extremely fun. But so Hogwarts Legacy, which is named after the school in the Harry Potter books, which is called Hogwarts, is an open world game where you just have a big, big old map. And mm-hmm. things that are activities that are, are strewn across the map, and you're supposed to feel like it's a, a living, breathing world you're exploring. But it's uh, set at Hogwarts in the 1890s, so like 100 years before the original story of Harry Potter takes place. And you play as a student that's 15 years old, joining the school a fifth year, uh, which is unusual for Harry Potter. And you are solving the mystery of your ancient magic powers and also stopping a goblin rebellion. So... I found this game weird, borderline nonsensical in its plot and storytelling, and then just mechanically extremely unfun to play. First up, like I originally was supposed to review this on my PC, and the game crashed my computer twice. Once I got it to function on my PS5, let me just ask you, when you think about a game you want to play with about Harry Potter, like what are some action verbs you would think of? What would you want to do at Hogwarts?
1: Well, I mean, the draw of Harry Potter is that it's a magical boarding school, so probably go to class, learn some spells. I mean, personally, I'm a Pisces, so I love romance, so Mm -hmm. I would love to romance some people.
2: Yeah, okay. You don't do that last thing. Um, What? You don't romance anybody. There's no romance quests. The necessary times you have to go to class to pick up spells that you need for the game to progress is three. You do not have to go to class otherwise. It doesn't feel like you're going to school. You can just run around in the area outside of Hogwarts, like literally just run around in the wilderness for days on end, and it has no effect on your school performance.
1: That's like the whole animating fear in Harry Potter besides Voldemort. Like, am I gonna pass my test and also am i gonna get detention in the forbidden forest how is that not a part of the game what are you doing then
2: i mean what you do okay well i mean so your, your very first spell that you learn is basic cast and you can use it to manipulate the environment a little bit you use it for puzzle solving sometimes but the mostly it is like a basic damage spell that you use for combat your wand feels like a gun more or less And then the spells that you use are also mostly combat-focused. That's really weird because
1: most of the spells that are mentioned in the books are not. Like, there's a whole class that's for combat and then every other class.
2: Yeah. And from there, the spells that you'd use are also mostly combat-focused. And I realized while I was playing that each spell in combat, they all do different things. Like, Leviosa levitates things and... Farrago sends a a firebolt out at things, and there's a a transfiguration spell that you can use to turn your enemies into chickens, but they all have the same (laughs) basic result. It's really, really sad.
1: God, I mean, that's the worst part of the movies is that yeah. it makes the magic so unmagical. Like the wand becomes a gun where it just shoots out lasers when it's like the most fun part of Harry Potter is like learning what all these spells do and like the way that magic can interact with the world. So it yeah. sounds like it took the worst parts of the movie and made it a game.
2: Yeah, the game itself is really beholden to the Warner Brothers movie production design because this is based on the license that WB owns for for the movie. So we walk into the Grand Hall and it looks exactly like it does in the films, which is disappointing to me and probably a lot of other fans who, like me, read the books like way, way before the movies even came out or even were conceived of. I imagine the Grand Hall looking differently when I read the books, you know, like I would wanted to see maybe a slightly different vision of what it meant to be in the wizarding world or a, a different take on some of these locations. You know, it's been a hundred years. How is the Grand Hall different or no, similar? Exactly.
1: It's a hundred years in the past, right?
2: Yeah. And it, it doesn't feel a hundred years in the past. Like witches and wizards act and speak primarily in the same way as you would be used to if you watched the films. There's there's no connection to What was going on in the world in 1890, it feels very incidental that it's set at that time.
1: That reflects a lot of the issues with the (laughs) Harry Potter world in general, is that they're just like, what's
2: happening in the muggle world?
1: It doesn't matter. Don't
2: worry about it. I wish at least, like, the, the very least, you know, the minions, they put them in a cave. You know, they knew somebody was going to ask what the minions were up to <laughs> during World War Two, and they put them in a cave. <laughs> J.K. Rowling Not is sort of like minions I don't having care. Better lore, than I know. <laughs> But the Minions low-key does have better lore than Harry Potter. <laughs> it kind of does. It
1: kind of does. Okay, so the lore doesn't build out. Your your wand is a gun. And you said there's no romancing. Are there at least, like, do you make friends? Like, that's the fun part of Hogwarts. Like, Harry, Ron, and Hermione's friendship is pretty much the defining trait of the entire series. The Golden Trio.
2: So you don't get a Golden Trio. What you do get instead are storylines relating to characters at the school. There is one storyline for each house. So the storyline for Slytherin, I was sorted into Slytherin, and I've always been sorted into Slytherin every single time I've taken a sorting test. When you meet the Slytherin guy that teaches you the Unforgivable Curses, that's his questline, you can become his best friend in the world. But Mm -hmm. the end of his questline does involve him killing a man, pointing his wand at someone in cold blood and saying, Avada Kedavra. And you then have the choice to turn them in and they go to Azkaban or um, never tell anyone that he is a murderer and he will continue being able to go to school. And I turned him in and his sister thinks it's the wrong choice and it's implied that he becomes even further radicalized against goblins because he has to go to Azkaban. Um... But if you don't turn him in, he he afterward he's like, wow, I, I learned my lesson. I'll never <laughs> dabble in the dark arts ever again. And, and like nobody solves this murder <laughs> that occurs. You mean
1: committing a crime is fine as long as it's done by someone we like? You know what? Um the politics of that make a lot of sense, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> For what we know about J.K. Rowling and the world of Harry Potter, it does make sense that they're like, if you hide this murder, it will be better for everybody except for the guy who was murdered. But we won't talk about him anymore.
2: (laughs) It makes no effort to elaborate in the spaces where Harry Potter has left a lot of gaps. And it is a game in terms of its mechanics and the way it plays that feels like it was made 10 years ago. That makes a lot of sense.
1: But also it's like, it it feels so toxic at this point to even touch. And that's largely because of like the worldview of the creator of the universe, which is Joanne Rowling. Um, there's there's a lot of there there to get into in terms of what Rowling has done and how she has become um, reigning TERF in chief. TERF is, you know, trans exclusionary radical feminist. Um, basically, someone who feminism relies on excluding trans people and trans women from their world. And JK is... On that turf train. She's driving the turf train. Choo-choo, motherfucker. She has built the turf train brick by brick. Like, <laughs> yeah. it is all her at this point. And so this game is being, like, subsumed into that. And it's impossible not to collapse the two into one. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, when we were prepping this episode, something that kind of kept coming up was the fact that even before... Joanne's hard turn towards turfdom fans were already kind of trying to refigure their relationship to the canon and something you also mentioned was that you think that that kind of refiguration has three distinct phases we're gonna explain what exactly the turfdom is later but before we get into that tell me what these three phases
2: are I think you remember, of course, after Harry Potter finished, I think maybe a month after, J.K. Rowling revealed that she conceived Dumbledore as a gay character. And uh, the relationship that he had with canonically wizard Hitler was a romance. The saddest gay man in the world. (laughs) You fell in love with Hitler in your 20s -hmm. and then never loved again. (laughs) So after that was like, a, like a, a post-series canonical change or clarification that people really appreciated. It seemed to be in line with the overall sort of the white feminist message of the book <laughs> in terms of its mm-hmm. like approach to racism and equality. It seemed to be in line with that. Oh, here's an example of a marginal community that is discriminated against, you know, just like the muggle-born wizards are discriminated against. We got it, Joanne. But especially when she started making Fantastic Beasts, she kept adding new things to the canon. Everyone remembers uh, the wizards didn't used to have toilets. Yes. Thing. Don't know why she <laughs> revealed that fact. The CIA couldn't have gotten that information out of me. I
1: literally <laughs> remember the era where she just kept adding things to the lore that none of us yeah, needed. Uh, and we were all just like, Joanne! <laughs> Nagini is an Asian woman. The snake. Who has been is transformed
2: an- into a snake. And now we're all just like, um. So the second Asian character in your series is a snake. No, exactly. <laughs> I uh, I was working at Kotaku at the time, and I wrote a blog that was titled "JK Rowley needs to stop messing with Harry Potter" because I just feel like she was she was also getting on people's cases for saying that <laughs> they felt like Jeremy Corbyn was like Dumbledore. She was very angry about this, and you know, wrote a whole thing about. She didn't say that Harry would have um, supported Israel, but she suggested it. (laughs) We didn't need to know these things, you know, we just didn't need to know. And I feel like I don't need to know because like then you
1: start thinking about like, you know, Harry Potter was alive during like South African apartheid. How does he feel about that? You know, like I don't just I don't need what are wizards in South Africa doing? Uh, what are black wizards doing in America during Jim Crow? Like what? If I have so many questions and none of them were answered by knowing that wizards didn't used to use the toilet.
2: Like yes, yes, exactly.
1: I mean, it's like finding out the African because there's only one school for the entire continent of Africa was named Ugadu, which feels
2: just yeah. And guess where it is? Uganda. <laughs> So this is phase one. <laughs> yeah. This is phase one where people, fans like us, were just like, stop it, Joanne. We like your books. You don't like, need to add to them.
1: Please. My please, crops are dying.
2: stop. I'm like... After fans already were kind of falling off, people started noticing that she was following people that were associated with, you know, transclusionary radical feminism and liking and responding to these tweets. There, I think something happened where she was looking for children's illustrations to use in a children's book and she accidentally copied and pasted something in a reply that was definitely a reply to a different person talking about trans people and it was disparaging. And people noticed that and she eventually on, on June 10th, 2020, she wrote a blog called JK Rowling writes about her reasons for speaking out on sex and gender issues. And this is the real like mask off moment where she compared trans women to rapists and predators, and made also weird, disparaging remarks about trans men and autism. And since then, it has only gotten more extreme, including the recent incident where she was campaigning heavily against this law in Scotland that would have allowed trans people to self-ID and wore this t-shirt and has continued to call it like a travesty against women's rights, which trans women are women, so I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs)
1: Trans, yeah, and I I just this isn't even the most important thing about that entire like timeline, but I'm just thinking about what was happening in June twenty twenty and then having the audacity to be like, you know what the world needs right now. I know. You know what the world needs right there were fucking now. March
2: is coming down my street in Bushwick and this no, woman it, is writing a blog. Like, people were dying. Yeah,
1: like-, <laughs> <laughs> like Oh my God, and you just have the audacity to be like, I got some hot cooking for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: mean, <laughs> I was like, oh, did you guys not have enough to worry about? Here you go. Here
1: you go. Oh, my God. Honestly, I need to take a break because I just I'm thinking about June 2020 and that always makes me need no, a break. No, and let's take a breather. <laughs> Let's take a breather. When we come back, we're going to talk about how Hogwarts legacy seems to kind of be cementing a process that's been happening over the past like decade ish. And also try to answer the big, big question of how to engage with something you loved as a child, then maybe you shouldn't love as an adult. <laughs> Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Hi, y'all. Hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening to Icy YMI, then a welcome. We're so thrilled to have you here, in case you missed it. That's what ICYMI stands for. Also, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You're currently listening to the Saturday episode, and our past Wednesdays episode was all about the beef between Selena Gomez and Hailey Bieber. There's a lot going on. So much going on. You definitely don't want to miss it. And we're back to talk about Childhood let talk about our inner child. I'm in therapy now. Oh, <laughs> I know what that is.
2: Oh, I love it. Rachel, I have a question for you. It's my Ooh. therapist voice. Did you read Harry Potter fan fiction?
1: Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Not as a child,
1: which okay. I think is really interesting because I'm narcissistic. But I didn't engage in Harry Potter fan fiction until like 2020 because uh, it was... As we talked about, a rough year for everybody for reasons we don't need to talk about anymore. And at that point, I got so into Wolfstar, which is the ship between Remus Lupin and Sirius Black, to the point that I bullied my entire team into letting me do a whole episode on all the young dudes, which is a 500,000 word Remus Lupin serious black fan fiction is um, that bullying
2: or was that for their own good
1: <laughs> I mean I think it's for their own
2: good but <laughs> they have some disagreements about that <laughs> I you know fear I was also a huge wolf star shipper back it's back the, in the best day. ship <laughs> I loved Wolfstar. My ship of of choice for them was the Shoebox Project, which was a a fic that's written as if it's a collection of uh, like ephemeral materials, like the kind of stuff you would keep in a shoebox, like mementos from school. And part of what I really like about fan fiction like this is, you know, we're both interested in what fans of Harry Potter called the quote unquote, like the Marauders era, which is essentially Mm -hmm. just when Harry's parents went to school. Yeah. And there's like a lot of interesting character dynamics in that, especially like in the third book, you get to meet Sirius and Remus as adults and they have an intense bond that mm-hmm. feels, I don't know, it just feels very romantic to me. Also, it's just like... Yeah. Werewolfism is like a disease that requires people to take medication and makes them Mm -hmm. very weak and sickly and also makes people afraid of having werewolves around their children because they don't want their children to be infected. It's a very on-the-nose AIDS allegory. Um, And for years, I thought that this meant that Remus Lupin was a, a gay man. I feel like, as a reader, that J.K. Rowling doesn't really understand what she wrote with that character like remus lupin is a gay man i i if you're writing an aids allegory you're not gonna make that character straight usually no
1: exactly and it's also like the actor who played lupin in prisoner of azkaban david thulis and also alfonso curan who directed prisoner of azkaban both were like yeah we're this character's gay. We're playing him as gay. Like, everyone knows. I just read what was written down, and we just all decided to go with it. Yeah. So for J.K. Wrong to be like, actually, actually, you're wrong, and I'm right. I was just like, bitch, shut up. I don't give a fuck what you say anymore. It was <laughs> that, and then her saying that Hermione could be read as black. No, she couldn't have. The- <laughs> she, she was like, if you'll notice, I never said she wasn't. And it's like, um... Babes, every single black character in this in this series is very clearly black because you describe them as
2: black with the capital every B. Every single time. Like I remember when we finally met Blaise Zabini. Blaze Zabini that everyone thought was a, an Italian, a beautiful white Italian. She was like, And he's black and she went to such great lengths to describe his high cheekbones and dark mm-hmm. skin. And it's yep. like I didn't necessarily want to know how you fetishize black people, but now I do.
1: Now I'm aware. Now I'm aware. Now I know every other character who's not described this way is probably white. Thank you for letting me know. Unless their name is Cho Chang and we can all guess what's happening there.
2: Oh, my God. <laughs> and Padma Patil mm-hmm. kill me. Like <laughs> Kingsley Shacklebolt, you know. <laughs> Blackity black man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, we would know if a character was black because she went out of her way to describe black characters, blackness every time they appeared.
1: Yes. Yes. There's this like really popular idea, I feel like, among, you know, the turf adjacent right. People who ally themselves with JK Rowling. That the reason Harry Potter fans don't fuck with JK is because of her like turpiness, which is a good enough reason not to fuck with someone. But like we said before, her death of an author journey, the moment that fans started to be like, actually, you know what? I don't think this belongs to you anymore. It belongs to us and we're ignoring you, began a long time before it became just so crystal clear how transphobic she was, which means that the Harry Potter fandom has had a while to kind of figure out what it meant to be a fan of this series, especially if you were a fan who was just like not cis or white or straight. Like you already knew that what was written down was not going to be the end all be all for you.
2: Yeah, you know, I think um, a lot of fandom in a broad sense has to do with sort of finding yourself in a text when you are not necessarily represented as you would like to be. And there is a lot of fan fiction that takes the ideas, the environment of Harry Potter and reframes them and recontextualizes them in a way where it takes into account intersections of race, gender, sexuality, gender identity that J.K. Rowling either doesn't care about or doesn't know about. Um, One of my favorite examples of this is a fic that comes from 2016 called Do Black Wizards Not?, which is a really fantastic short fic that just describes Dean Thomas, a character who is always described so explicitly Mm -hmm. as black. And then just puts them in an intersection with another black character, and it's all about Dean Thomas going to not you know the the Hogwarts train for the first time and seeing Blaise Zabini, who would end up in Slytherin. You know, Dean Thomas is a Gryffindor, and Blaise is a Slytherin. Dean Thomas is muggle born, and uh, Blaise Zabini is from a pure blood family. And essentially, it's, it's he's looking, and he asks his mom. Do you think Black wizards nod at each other when they see each other and they're like the only other the only black people in the space? And that is a, a question Harry Potter is never asked. It's never asked how race functions in the wizarding world. It assumes in a sort of neoliberal mid-90s end of history type way that all isms will be completely flattened once we get on a, a level playing field, otherwise, power. You know, in terms of other terms, times of power, a- and it's so comforting though to like read a fic that actually does ask like, what what makes wizarding society different in terms of race, and like, can Dean and Blaze still have a connection through their shared history, whereas where outside they of of that simple connection, they would have nothing to do with each other. And there's other examples that Black Hermione was something that, like, I read the books and I envisioned myself as Hermione. I had braces and glasses and wild bushy hair. I clearly like thought of myself as Hermione Granger. <laughs> and, 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 you know, there's also the popular headcanon, which is that Harry Potter and his parents are a Desi family, which I think mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense and is... Kind of comforting to, to say, well, she didn't envision it this way, but I can read this book and f- still feel like I see Indian-ness in the text where it really does not show up in the text at all in mm-hmm. the England in 1995. <laughs> because
1: race didn't exist at that point. No. It, you know, I I just, I mentioned before the break that I feel like this game kind of just accelerated or cemented a process that began like a really long time ago not least because of what we're talking about which is the issue with hogwarts legacy is the same issue that harry potter has which is that it's really actually not compatible with progressive politics that jk rowling used to consider herself like a beacon up and still considers herself a beacon up like there's no way that the people of color in both the 1890s version of Hogwarts or in the 1990s version of Hogwarts wouldn't have thoughts about, like, the British colonial empire as it existed or, like, at that point in time. And it, it just makes you realize what the fuck was everyone doing when the other shit was happening in the world? Like, what was happening during the AIDS crisis or, like, World War II or just, like, institutionalized racism? And these are just questions that are never answered in the canon And then the game, it seems like, tries to retcon it into the canon by adding in this kind of like surface level diversity. And it just makes the dissonance so much stronger. It's
2: bizarre. You know, there are so many more professors of color in 1890s Hogwarts than there are in 1995. It feels egregious because we know in 1995, every single one of Harry's professors will be a white person. Mm-hmm. But in 1890s, oh, there's Professor Shaw, and your your broom instructor is Japanese, and the, the herbology professor is Chinese, and all of this stuff. And it's like, well, where did they go after yeah. this? Also, it is weird. For me, you know, I, I'm mixed race. I'm half Indian. My mom actually teaches post-colonial literature at a collegiate level. So I think about a lot of these things all the time. But like... To be an Indian in the UK in the 1890s, it's definitely possible, right? Because India is a British colony. But India is a British colony, and to be an Indian in Victoriana, in, in England, you would have to be an exceptional person, like a mathematical genius or an extraordinary beauty or an incredible artist in some way. That's how marginalized people end up tokenized across cultures at, at this time. And the game does not necessarily portray the real world's politics as interacting with the characters there in a way that really feels bizarre frequently. You look at the books and it like sort of makes sense. You know, she's not trying to promote equality. She's trying to promote the continuation of the status quo. Voldemort isn't a threat because he wants inequality. Inequality exists in the wizarding world explicitly. House elves. House elves are slaves. Slytherin also exists. That's that's just a, a house in a school that's for evil wizards. Like yes. none of them yes. go to the final battle at Hogwarts. They all run away. That's canonical. Like why does Slytherin still exist? Like it's just the forces of the status quo are good. Anyone who tries to stay, change the status quo in any direction is bad. And it feels like, weirdly enough, the ultimate message of Harry Potter is that you should grow up to become a cop. Yes, which is
1: wild. Like, the
2: conclusion to come to at the end of
1: seven books and eight movies is that, you know, if good people are in the system, then the system works. And that's wild. Hope and
2: change, can change, baby. What? Oh, my God.
1: I just like joining the same administration that basically like actively gaslit you for years about the return of wizard Hitler 2.0.
2: And you're just like, ah, yes, oh. I will be a
1: cop for them.
2: <laughs> and Like that branded you in the press as a traitor to the wizard yes. world. <laughs> and you're just like when you were a child. <laughs> I just feel like the message in Harry Potter
1: should have been that he should have been an anarchist. Like my man should have straight up been like,
2: yes. And he's just like, no masters, no borders. No, exactly. (laughs) But but he's like, no, I want to be an or I'd like to be a magical cop, please. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) I just wish to wield power Mm because that's
1: the best version of this.
2: It's just like Harry Potter is such a specific vision from such a specific person is a fantasy for British people and only British people. Like once you take one or two steps outside of essentially Hogwarts and the, the areas delineated by the the books, the, the world that J.K. Rowling has built just starts to break down. And it doesn't even take that much time until you start seeing the inconsistencies.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what we're coming down to in this discussion is, like, politics notwithstanding, if the game had been good, we'd be having a much different conversation. And we're having this conversation because the game is bad because of the politics of the person who made it. Yeah. Therefore, there are better options out there. You can have fun doing something else.
2: Please do. We have evolved beyond the need for Harry Potter. Just play Elden Ring.
1: All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss a deep dive into that lady's recent ventures. Please leave a rating and review in Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. Tell your friends you play better games than Hogwarts Legacy about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions. And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com.
2: ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and Rachel Hampton, with a special thanks to Sierra Spragley-Ricks, Daisy Rosario is our Senior Supervising Producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. See you online!
1: Or not at Hogwarts.
2: Whenever you're solving a puzzle, your character speaks out loud to tell you essentially the solution to the puzzle. My partner sat next to me while I was playing this on the couch, and whenever that would happen, I would just mutter in my breath, shut the fuck up.
1: (laughs) Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com.
0: It's my little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs)